Welcome back to the latest episode of Real Early, the podcast that asks the question, what does wrestling have to do with anything? Hi, my name is Larry Sternshine, and welcome to the latest episode of Real Early. I wanted to take this moment to thank everybody who has downloaded or pressed play on Spotify to listen to the first episodes of my podcast. It's really amazing that it has resonated with so many people, and I just wanted to take the time to thank everybody for the support. This has been something that I have thought about doing for a long time, and I thought, what better time than now? So, I also wanted to let you guys know that this episode is going to be a little bit different from the past episodes that I've had because it's not going to really be movie-focused. It's going to be more focused on professional wrestling. The reason for doing this is because wrestling shares some similarities between movies, especially for someone like myself growing up, where video stores weren't just a place to get movies, but it was also a place where you can rent professional wrestling videos, especially those from WWF, now WWE, with Coliseum Home Video. And that is how I got into professional wrestling because Saturday Night's Main Event wasn't just enough for me. I needed to see the big events that led up to all these television programs. And because of going to the video store and renting these VHS tapes of wrestling, that I am the big professional wrestling fan I am today. And I wanted to talk to my best friend, Phil Wills, uh, what got him into wrestling because for a 10-year period he was a very good referee he was the head referee for AAW in Chicago for a time just one of the smartest minds about professional wrestling and the interesting thing about Phil is he was born and raised in Bermuda and I was wondering how exactly does somebody in the island of Bermuda become a fan of professional wrestling and eventually get into it And the stories that he shares about discovering wrestling and getting tapes is a very similar story that a lot of us who like professional wrestlings had. So I think this is going to be a really fun episode for those into wrestling, and I think a very interesting one for those who may not know wrestling very well, because there's a lot of similarities between those of us who got into movies through going to the video store and those who got into professional wrestling in the 80s due to video stores. So I'm really proud of this episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, and again, thank you so much for supporting my show and listening to it. And I hope that uh, you guys continue to enjoy it as much as I am recording it. So without further wait, here is my live recording with Phil Wills, my best friend. Phil. Phil. Hi, Larry. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. So uh, I'm here with uh, one of my best friends, Phil. Uh, we've been friends for almost 20 years, if not 20 years. And how exactly did we become friends? We became friends because of pro wrestling. So we were both going to pro wrestling shows in the Chicago area and... I think I'm trying to. Th- it was through Ken, our friend, our other friend Ken. I had met Ken as a fan, and we started going to shows together. He knew 
I think he knew of Larry and other people that we knew through probably through the Chicago Pro Wrestling website. Yeah, probably. Then, yeah, and then we all started hanging out together. And I think just like a lot of other others in our friend group, uh, I assumed Larry did not like me the first time we met. <laughs> well, truth be told, I probably didn't. Um, no. Uh, yeah, you know, it's when you meet new people, not everybody is like super friendly like a Ken. Sure. Some people, you know, take a little bit of time to warm up to. But yeah. obviously, we warmed up to each other pretty quickly because we, we became fast friends. Well, we started going to karaoke. You Dude. asked if I like karaoke, I think. Well, and we, we would we'd go hang out and do live band karaoke. Oh, yeah. Well, we would do wrestling shows often, right? And then uh, we would go yeah. out afterwards because mm-hmm. we were young then. Now we just want to go to bed after wrestling shows. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to a wrestling show tonight, and I hate that it's going to be I'm going to be out past my bedtime. <laughs> well, yeah. it's We're going to, at the time of recording, to the Forbidden Door show, yep. AEW New Japan. Yep. And it's going to be like a 13-hour show. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a long one. So, But oh well. Once in a lifetime chance to go. Exactly. So, yeah. when you're hearing this this show, you know that we saw a good wrestling show. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yep. Uh, now, you, for a while there, you were also a pro wrestling referee. I was, for about 10, 10 years, I think. Around that. A decade of roughing. A decade of roughing. So... Who are some of the, the names that you refed? Because when you were doing pro wrestling refereeing, you were with a lot of before they were stars people. Yes. Yeah. You know, so who are, who are some of the biggest names that you refed? Probably the biggest name at this point that I had refed, who is now who is now a big star, is, is uh, as he's known now, Seth Rollins, but he was Tyler Black at the time. I refed him quite a, quite a lot when he first started appearing in IWA Mid-South. And then primarily with uh, with AAW, a company here in Chicago, um, he's probably the biggest name in that. But I've refed others like Ricochet. I've I've done matches with um, some older names and things like that that people might know, like Jerry Lynn. Um, I refed him quite a bit. I did get to ref one match with uh, American Dragon uh, Brian Danielson. The one time he came into AAW, who was he wrestling that? He wrestled Silas Young. So yeah, Silas oh, he was, was just on television too. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So yeah, got to got to ref him. Um, I mean, the amazing Kong. I got to ref uh, Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston. Yep, yep. Got to ref him. Um, I mean, a lot of there's a lot of the guys on AEW right now. Chuck Taylor, um, Orange Cassidy, Trent Trent Beretta, as he was known as the time. Uh, yeah. So I've been I've been very very fortunate. Uh, I think realistically the biggest names that I probably ever refed was I did get to ref in Atlanta um, the Rock and Roll Express versus uh, the Midnight Express I did get to ref that what, what federation was that for? What? that was it was an NWA promotion uh, David Marquez was doing one it was like a they were doing I. it was sort of like a, a history like a a history of the NWA kind of like special show they did and I don't remember what the arena was down there the Pepsi Center or something like that um, but yeah they had like a Duel of the Butcher versus Tommy Rich on there Sid Sid, uh, just, Sid Vicious uh, destroying two guys in the ring and he literally spent the entire match bef- the entire night before the match going over how he was going to destroy them in the locker room and I really felt bad for those guys <laughs> um, but yeah, the the 
the glorious the glorious man um, Ed Schumann, a local promoter here for the NWA, he insisted to David Marquez that I had to ref um, the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express. So I, I got to do that, and that was probably that was probably the biggest stars that I've ever refed. Who was managing the Midnight Express? The Cornette there. Cornette was there. Yes, he was the manager. Yep. What did he say anything to after the match? Not a word. No. Okay. Like, it was just a quick thank you or whatever. I think the funniest thing in the entire match, um, like, realistically, they worked around me. They knew what they were doing, and which also made it easier to follow because okay. I could easily read what they were doing and be like, okay, follow this guy so you don't see this over here or whatever. But the funniest moment was uh, Bobby Eaton had to distract me. And uh, so he gets my attention, and I go over, and he's... And as I'm coming over, he's like, how you doing, man? I'm like, I'm doing fine. He's like, okay, good. Za, 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 za. And the za, za was him like pointing in my face. And that was him arguing with me. He didn't actually say words. He just went, za, 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 za. Maybe he was hungry for pizza. <laughs> he might have been. <laughs> I think that's actually an, a good compliment that Cornette didn't say anything in some I didn't ways. get screamed at, yeah. You know, because if you fucked up, he would have let you know. Oh, yes. He absolutely would have. So, <laughs> Which might have been a better story, but yeah. probably better for your career. I mean, I did get... Actually, the other cool thing from that, it was a weekend. Like, I literally... Again, this same promoter, Ed Schumann, I drove I drove him down from Chicago to Atlanta for this show. And the day before the show, Ed was having... A, Ed had a meeting with Jim Cornette and Jerry Jarrett as they were trying to figure out some sort of promoting tactic for TNA at the time. I don't know exactly what it was. But again, Ed insisted that I come sit with him while we were having the meeting. So that was cool. I got to just sit and listen to them discuss like what they were trying to do and figuring it all out. So that was a lot of fun. That, that sounds amazing. In fact, <laughs> I didn't even know you did that show for some reason. Like I don't know how... I'm sure we talked about it before, but like you've gotten a chance to do a lot of really cool things in, in your time. Yep, yep. Um, and it's somewhat like... Just to be a fly on the wall to some of the old timers. That's the, always the best the best part of anything. Like It was one of the pieces of advice I got, especially when I started about going into locker rooms, was talk to the older guys. One, they'll appreciate that you're asking and you're respecting their position. But two, you're probably going to learn some of the best stuff ever. And when I started in IWA Mid-South, I did that with Bull Payne. And I went up to him and I, I it was literally just... Bull, I'm new. What do I what do I need to know to to work as well as a ref here? And he said, "Well, the first thing is don't become a bumping ref because then he'll put you through a table every five seconds." I was like, "All right, that's fine." <laughs> Never went through a table. <laughs> I think that is probably the smartest bit of advice I think any referee was, will ever get. Yep, because I, I literally did see it with other refs. Like they they agreed to do something, and then they felt like they couldn't say no ever again after that. And I. I learned I learned how to do what I needed to do in training. I didn't go through 100% like full wrestling training like some refs will do. I learned how to bump and all of those types of things, but I didn't really want to become a bumping. Like that's not the point for me <laughs> being there. So Yeah, well, isn't like a referee is a very important part of a match, but is never going to be the part of the match that's most important. So I think learning to to be invisible and visible at the same time is Good, but difficult skill to learn. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, you don't want to be the center of attention, but you're gonna add you're gonna add something to the match. Like you're gonna add a sense of drama to the match, no matter what. If you're good, if you're good at what you're doing, like you know, 
it's it's and it's a difficult space because people are like well just treat it like it's real and it's like but if you do that then some of the drama gets lost because then you're not going to get those nice those nice like close like 2.999 whatever counts and stuff like that if like if i'm trying to count as if i'm fully going for it it's not going to look as dramatic now the other question i have while you're refereeing how do you ignore the people who want to give you their glasses (laughs) like how do you just like forget about those people because i imagine it's got to be annoying after a while it honestly depends on the size of the crowd the smaller the crowd the more i hear them the more it bugs me if they're big enough and you get the general like crowd buzzing then you don't really worry about it the ones that are most annoying at times i think were more just the the ones that yell for you to get out of the way because you're standing in a corner and they're trying to see and it's like look i'm sorry man like Based on where the guys in the ring are, I can't move because if I do, I'll get in their way, and I'm more afraid of them than I am of you. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I know how you feel because I'll never forget this. I was helping record a show. Mm-hmm. It might have been a uh, mid, anyway, mid South show, but essentially, I have the camera. I'm not the shortest person in the world, so somebody kept telling me to move out of the way, but I had to be in a certain spot. I may have flicked him off behind my back while I was recording. Yep. And I think at that point, I was just like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. That's, the only other time I recorded was the barbed wire match that AEW had with, with Seth Rollins. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because they needed an extra guy to do a camera, so I was like right there for their barbed wire match. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I never wanted to get into wrestling, but I, I, I was really kind of fortunate to be friends who were in wrestling because, you know, you get to ask them questions and like you... <laughs> Get a lot of inside scoops, sure. uh, but you also kind of learn more about some of the stuff. Because, like, if I'm seeing a wrestling match and I and I think something's dumb, I can ask somebody, "Hey, why is that a thing?" And you realize the purpose of it, and mm-hmm. you appreciate it more. Definitely, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot to be there's a lot to be gleaned, and yes, yeah, sometimes things are just bad because just like any like movies, like TV shows, sometimes it's just bad storytelling, but other times it's like, eh. Well, no, we kind of had to do this because of these reasons or whatever. Yeah, so. But, yeah. And, and like, me personally, with with certain exceptions about things, I'm going to talk about how wrestling works. I'm not I'm not going to presume that all of it is, is only for, you know, secrets. Because that's, uh, that's problematic in many ways. Like, there's certain things, like, you know, if a guy was really injured, why wasn't he here? If I know the actual reason, I'm really not going to say it because <laughs> right. it's, it's not my business. It's that, you know, someone's personal business, not mine to tell. But other things I'm going to talk pretty openly about because why not? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, the other question I want to ask was, what was the best wrestling match you ever refed? The, there are three that immediately come to mind. Um, one was between it was in Dragon Gate USA the first time they came to Chicago and it was Davey Richards and Shingo Takagi that probably like yeah that probably was probably number one and it was a combination of the work in the ring those two guys in general plus the crowd reactions like that was one of those times where it was like on every near fall the crowd was losing their minds um, that was at the Congress Theater in the Chicago, Theater, right? Yeah. Yep. And it's true. Like, there's, you know, the guy, like, some of the wrestlers will talk about it sometimes, but 
you feel the energy that's coming from people. Like when you have a crowd that is really going crazy, you 100% feel that. Um, and that it is very addictive in that way. So I get it. I get it in that regard. The, the second one was probably, um, it was in Shimmer at the Berwyn Eagles Club, and it was it was Mischief versus Amazing Kong, Awesome Kong, whatever name you might know her as. Uh, Mischief had been built up really big. Kong was, of course, like the unstoppable, the unstoppable force and everything like that. And the crowd, again, was losing their minds for every minute that, like, tr willing Mischief to win. Um, I was going to say a different one for a third one, but then I just thought of this one, and I want to tell a story about this because it's hilarious. Um... Eddie Kingston versus Keith Walker in AAW. Okay. And the reason is this. Kingston had, had at the time, I'm going to talk out of school a little bit, whatever. Eddie Kingston had recently won the AAW title, and this was maybe the first or second show after he won the title, and he's wrestling Keith, but they're in the middle of the show. Because they didn't really think that it was going to be that great of a match. No slight to Eddie more of a slight to his opponent. Eddie took that incredibly personally and decided to make it an amazing match, which it actually was. Like, it was the best match Keith Walker ever had. What, was it Was it the fans who were saying that they didn't think it was going to be a good match? Nope. <laughs> it, was, it was folks in the back. Who really? Didn't. Yep. Because yep. I, I know that at the time, because I, I saw that match, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's like, uh, like Keith Walker had this great opportunity. He was in, in Noah and stuff, and... He was doing sort of that Japanese thing, but I don't think he was necessarily like one of the top guys people thought of. But I mean, he there were plenty of matches where he can go. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, like for me, I love Eddie Kingston. I've always loved Eddie Kingston. And like, so I thought this match would be good, but I did not know that this match would be like like this five star, hard hitting, like crazy match. Yeah. And uh, what do you remember what show that's on? Because I think people should try to. Uh, I don't remember what show it's on. We'll have to look it up and give you a... It'll be a in the show notes. Yeah, in the show notes. But yeah, it... And who knows, maybe in hindsight right now, it's not going to be like... You might watch it and be like, yeah, whatever. If you had seen a lot of Keith Walker up to that point, like both Larry and I had, again, like Larry said, Keith, he was fine. He was a very big dude. Think think like size-wise, like a J.R. Kratos right now, like that kind of size. Mm -hmm. Like a very big, muscular guy. He wasn't always the most... The most mobile he was always you know he he was a, a a slow and methodical kind of guy and kingston just he wanted to prove people wrong like you put me you made me the champ but you're not putting me in the main event well you better put me in the main event and he proved them he 100 proved them wrong yeah that that thing was hard hitting <laughs> yes and they beat each other up but uh yeah i was going i was going out of my mind because like you you love to see guys put it all out on the line for mm -hmm. the fans, especially when, you know, if you got like a personal reason for him to go out there and, you know, give it like a hundred percent, you could totally kind of tell, like, you know. Yeah. And I think that, I remember the crowd going really crazy for it too. I think it caught the crowd off guard at the same time. Like they were not really prepared for, they were not expecting what, what happened without a doubt because they had all seen Keith for years as well. Yeah. Yeah, those those are definitely three matches to to check out for sure. sure. I and as as we're talking, I'm thinking of like tons of other ones, but I don't want to <laughs> take up the whole time. Yeah, with that. 
Yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing just in those ten years, some of these moments that you got to be a part of. Uh, I I feel lucky too because like I was never in the business, mm-hmm. but I got to basically be a hanger on a lot of different times, and you know, just to, it's a really interesting thing to talk to wrestlers and people in the business, not just necessarily about wrestling, but just how they view life and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's, wrestlers are. There's just there's just something different about them. There is. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I think wrestlers are very similar to some actors, a lot of comedians. There, there's something. There's and even I'll I'll even put it on myself for the same the same thing. Uh, there's there's something in us that is desperately seeking the approval of strangers, <laughs> and this is one form in which we can do it. Uh, and yeah, it's where it gets dangerous, though, with wrestlers. And like, I think it's the equivalent of any actor who gets a little too, you know, thinks they're above like everybody else and kind of forgets the real world. Wrestlers do it, too. Um, they kind of fall for the con of wrestling. They play re- they play wrestler because of like stories they've heard from wrestling throughout the years of how old wrestlers used to act. And they try to do that. And it's it's not healthy <laughs> at no. all. You end up very delusional thinking everything is everything is fake everything's a work in some way shape or form and it's not it's not a healthy way to assume that everything is that there that there's something behind things that something's not necessarily the truth yeah oh yeah i i could totally see we've some known guys pe- we've known people like yeah, that. Think, yeah as they say working themselves into a shoot exactly that happens uh, it happens a lot. too much yeah uh so then my question would be then, how did you actually get into wrestling? Mm-hmm. Like, so uh, you grew up in the island of Bermuda. I did, yes. And when I think of Bermuda, pro wrestling is probably the last thing that I'm going to think of. Like, <laughs> there probably weren't. Was there like a WWF house show there ever? There apparently there was once, and I can't. I'm. I wanted. I actually want to go eventually look in the archives of the Bermuda newspaper to find it because actually my. My godmother's husband helped with some of the setup for it. And, like, literally, I know the Iron Sheik was there because he drove the Iron Sheik around at one point. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So, there was actually wrestling that took place in Bermuda once. I had no, I don't, I think, I don't even, I might have been alive at the time, but I don't know. I'd have to look it up. So, so yes, there was actually a wrestling show there, done there one time. Yeah, because. My question then would be, how did you first see wrestling? The first time I I remember seeing... So, Bermuda had three TV channels. That's it. In terms of, like, just regular broadcast. We had... We, we got... And I, we can't even call it affiliates. We had a CBS channel. We had an ABC channel. We had an NBC channel. All of them went off the air at midnight. Um, and technically, most of the programming was borrowed from the u.s we technically you know it was weird and i never grew up a cable so i never saw any wrestling on cable but one time there i i no idea what show it was i just remember it was an intro to a wrestling show a wwf show and it was 
it was like Hulk Hogan like walking down the hallway at Madison Square Garden before he's about to make the entrance and like doing like the cross or whatever on his chest. I think they show that a lot, like whenever they do like videos yes. of the past, I I definitely know that yeah. that walk. I so I just remember seeing that. I had friends who had cable and occasion and like one of them that I was close with on the weekends eventually, but this was when I was like maybe eleven or twelve. I could go to I would go to his house and we would watch like Superstars or Challenge and all of that kind of stuff. Otherwise, the only way, the two ways I had were eventually the video store. And I say eventually because my mom hated wrestling. She despised it. She okay. thought it was the worst thing in the world. I was eventually able to convince her to let me rent wrestling tapes because I thought it was funny. <laughs> um, and I remember her asking while I'm watching like the first wrestling tape, like, I don't hear you laughing. Like, she, like, yelled from the other room. And I was just like, and... But she knew by that point it was kind of over. That the the dam had been broken. And now I was going to start re- renting wrestling tapes. Um, and also wrestling magazines. We got them rarely on the island. And they were... It was occasional. And I think the only reason I was able to get wrestling magazines more often was because... I think my mom figured at least I was reading. Oh, yeah. So, I that feel was like, a little better. I feel like that's how a lot of parents let their kids read comics growing up is because, well, it's words. That's how they, you know, they're reading. Exactly. Could, versus just, like, maybe watching, like, some silly cartoon or something. At least they're they're reading. What, what magazines did they get down there? So, we would get, reasonably regularly, we would get WWF Magazine. We would get PWI. PWI was my favorite. That's Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Yes, right? Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Thank you. Um, and there was sometimes some of the others like Inside Wrestling or The Wrestler would yeah. show up. One time, I think it was Wrestling's main event was one huh. that showed up. It was either it was either that or Wrestling Eye, and I remember it standing out because for those that don't know, like most wrestling magazines, especially at that time period in like late eighties, early nineties were just as fictional as the stuff going on in the ring. They were written to sort of bolster what was happening in the ring and not to talk about things behind the scenes and all that. And I can't remember if it was Wrestling Main Event or Wrestling Eye, but I got one of those just to try it out. And it was a totally, like, broke kayfabe magazine talking about all this different stuff huh. like that I had never seen before. And I was like, this is weird and different. <laughs> um, but... Pro Wrestling Illustrated was the biggest one. I loved the PWI 500. Sure. So they would rank the top 500 wrestlers in the world at the time. Um, the like the year end awards issues. Those were my two favorites. Like when they would do stuff like that. Yeah, the the PWF 500s are fun because I'm not exactly sure how they figured out the bottom half of the list, but everyone always the first thing I think you would look at number one, and then you'd look at who was 500. Yep. And I think. Duke the Dumpster Drossy got a job just from being number 500. Yes, he did. <laughs> he did for WWF. And plus, yeah. he was already a garbage man by day, wrestler by night person that Vince loved, Vince McMahon loved yeah. in the early 90s. Yeah. So he was like perfect fit. Mm-hmm. But I just, mm-hmm. I always remember that about PWF 500. I talked to one of the, I'm blanking on his name right now and I feel bad. One of the guys who works for PWI, who works, I think he might still work for PWI or he did. Um, he was the co-author of the book uh, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle okay. along with Pat LaProd. Um, he would come to Shimmer all the time and he at one time it was around like PWI 500 season and he, 
you could see how overworked he was trying to put that together. Because, and he talked about it in the old days, like there was a time where wrestlers, not not any of the WWF guys or anything like that, but there were wrestlers who would send in materials to Pro Wrestling Illustrated as a pitch for why they should be on the PWI 500, and you know what their accomplishments were, all of that kind of stuff. Some of it was to help the writers out but some of it was also guys legitimately pitching why they should be on the PWI 500 <laughs> well there's something to, to be said about seeing your name in print absolutely yeah you know, and I, I totally understand why somebody would want to do that yeah um, what uh, what kind of uh, videotapes did you because so when I was a kid mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to have plenty of channels so I could watch WCW or WWF Saturday Night's Made Event mm-hmm. um, all these kind of things and my local video store would have the WWF and, and some NWA tapes. Um, and then my guess is eventually you also probably got the same tapes I did. So what were, what were some of the earlier tapes that you kind of remember that caught your attention? The very first tape that I saw was WrestleMania 7. So it was the Coliseum video release of WrestleMania 7. That was the very first one that I saw. But So we had, on the island, I think there were maybe like two maybe three video stores on the island um there was one video store that my family would go to because bermuda is a it is a it's not a big island it is a long island it's like 21 miles long um so certain things certain places you went to on the island at that time growing up were dictated based on where you lived so we went to this one video store because it was quote unquote the closest one to our house um so whatever other video stores had i have no idea or i didn't learn till later when i kind of had my own transport but this video store had tons of the coliseum videos and a very small smattering of the jim crocker promotions nwa stuff like maybe like eight and that's it they didn't have a lot of it it was the vast majority was all wwf stuff and they usually got like the latest coliseum video ones yeah i think it was probably around 1989 was when I was renting more VH, wrestling VHS tapes. And I think my favorite ones to, to rent were actually the NWA ones. There was one that was like about the war games, mm-hmm. the match beyond. And yep. they had the two of the war games and they had some like random stuff. And the best part about those VHS tapes, before the event started, there were the commercials for the other ones. So I remember there was one for Shytown Rumble. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was... Um, one for the Danger Zone. Yep, yep. Which was, I think it was just like a half hour tape of just like random stuff with yep. Polly Dangerously doing it. And I'll never forget, there's an ad for a calendar. <laughs> and and uh, it's like an old, like the 80s, they loved the calendars. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll never, for some reason, I'll never forget is Dr. Death Steve Williams in like a swimming shorts and a football. Like, <laughs> like on the beach. And it was, I was like, this thing is kind of Because he was a football player. There was, uh, man, I wonder if anyone out there has that calendar still. I guarantee you somebody does. There's a collector out there that has it. Yeah. But, like, um, when you were renting, like, the VHS tapes, Mm -hmm. like, did you rent them a lot? Did you, like, see the same event a bunch of times? Did, like, how did... So, I, I, I kind of went backwards. So, starting at WrestleMania 7. So, the challenge was, the challenge was for me. When they would get these tapes, they would get one, and that was it. And it was an, it was an odd thing, like, 
through renting these and talking with like the owner of the store, I learned something of video video rental store economics at the time because he explained that I had no idea like how expensive these tapes were when they first bought them. Like it blew my mind that they might spend like a few hundred dollars for like one tape or yeah. something like that. Um, and their price for rental, it was a two-day rental, $5. Like it was just flat. That's what it was. Um, so particularly for the wrestling one, he could, the wrestling ones, he could justify, especially for like WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, he could justify bringing, he bring one in. He would definitely get enough rentals off of that from people on the island for that. But so what it would mean usually was, so Wrestle, I got WrestleMania 7. It was long after WrestleMania 7 had actually happened, obviously, besides the videotape. But then once it was finally available in the store. Um, so sort of in between, I just started going... I went backwards through the WrestleManias, all the way down to one. I would pick up any of the other big events that looked interesting, usually the newer ones first. But then the great thing with Coliseum Video was they had all of the the in-between ones, like Smack'em Whack'em and Global Tour and Band in the USA and all of those weird things. So they had all of those. They had all of the old Best of the WWF ones. Okay. Um, I never really watched any of those because it all looked too old and didn't look too flashy and fun. Like yeah. the new boxes and everything on the new stuff looked a lot cooler. And yeah, it was what I was reading about. By when I was getting into wrestling, it was around 1987, 88. So like some of those best of WWF ones, they were kind of older mm -hmm. and sort of wrestling got a little bit more colorful as it went on. Like 89, I think it's probably the first year 88, 89 is like when they started getting more colorful. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, like some of those old ones, like wrestling is, there's definitely a cutoff period between, where, especially in WWF, where it like changed into more sports entertainment than pro wrestling. Yeah. And yeah. that was kind of like the end of the 80s. Yeah. Kind of saw some of that. Like just in my, in my thinking back to it, like in sort of the visual presentation, even of like, like WrestleMania 3 was a big, I feel like was a big turning point. Like it was so large and everything like that. But there was something about that one that felt more colorful than like WrestleMania two or WrestleMania, the original WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, just in my eyes at the time, like I know it was a big deal for everybody then. Yeah. But yeah. So. And yeah. did Bermuda eventually start getting more television? Or? I mean, when I was growing up, we, there was cable existed. My parents just refused okay. to get it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's definitely, some some that I've noticed, like I've been very privileged enough to grow up where I had cable, mm -hmm. so I could watch like the, the the different stuff. But it was a lot of it was still syndicated, like on over the air antenna things at, at the time. Like now, it's like nobody has antenna stuff, and even yeah. if then, there's no wrestling on like regular television. But back right. then, that's how you. Oh yeah, you know, you I mean, the stuff. you had all this. You had WWF had. They had All-American Wrestling, Wrestling Challenge, Wrestling Superstars as syndicated shows. Then, geez, WCW had ludicrous numbers of syndicated shows, plus the main Saturday night show and everything like that. Yeah. And so, yeah. was there a period where you stopped with wrestling and then picked it up again? Or did you just always continue to be a wrestling no, fan? No. Once it's... Yeah. Once I found it, I never let it go. Like, so... I was in Bermuda. I lived in Bermuda until, and I started as a wrestling fan around 11 or 12, like getting the tapes. And, and then when I was, geez, how old was I? 14, I guess, maybe 15. I went away to boarding school. Um, and so I was in the U.S. 
And while I was there, um, since I was in the U.S. and I'd be able to do this for the first time, I got a subscription to PWI so that in my in my mailbox at, at school every month I would get I would get PWI. The big thing, the big like thing that happened then was um, Pro Wrestling Illustrated sold their would sell their subscription list to RF Video. Oh yeah, so RF Video, Rob, run by you know Rob Feinstein. You can look him up. He's a He's a guy. Um, <laughs> he uh, so all of a sudden, out of the blue, in my in my mailbox at school, I get a paper RF video update of all the tapes they had. I never heard of any of this, and I was like, I didn't even know. I, I was naive enough to think like, why? I didn't ask for this. Why did I even get this? I didn't know how the mail worked. Um, but then I'm looking at it, and I remember this one on the very like on the front page. The very first thing I see is. It says FMW blood bombs and barbed wire, and it was, I think it, I want to say it was Atsushi Onita versus Mr. Pogo in like the, and then I'm reading the description exploding barbed wire, landmine double hell death match or something like, that. and I'm like what is this, <laughs> and then I'm looking through the rest of it and I'm seeing like ECW tapes and all of these other like, I'm just like what is all of this? I I couldn't buy any of it at the time. Like I took one look at their prices and it was like. Twenty four ninety five. I'm like, I don't have that money <laughs> right. to, to buy one, but I want to know what this is. Like, this is fascinating to me. Um, so that let me know there was other wrestling. Like, I kind of knew through Pro Wrestling Illustrated, but realistically, that was so much more focused on like the U.S. Yeah, like they would mention Japan. You'd hear about these guys, but that getting that first RF videotape update was the first time like I knew about like other and so I think that's what sustained me. Instead of losing interest in, because at boarding school I never watched Raw, I never watched Nitro uh, because we had study hall at that time, so I, I couldn't go to sure. the common room and watch TV when that was happening. Um, so I I just kept following, excuse me, I just kept following wrestling just through magazines at the time because we still didn't have internet. We didn't have internet until I didn't get my first email address until my freshman year of college, which was 1997. Wow, that's. That's so different for me because my dad was really into the internet mm-hmm. and the computers. So we had dial-up. I had to hear the crazy noise. Yep. And then I would log into Prodigy mm-hmm. and AOL. And Prodigy is where I got to meet some people that were really into wrestling too. Um, and by having that sort of internet at the time, mm-hmm. it was so much easier to discover things about like ECW um, and that's when you make friends with people who were able to tape it mm-hmm. and then you get tapes of this stuff yep. uh, tape trading was there a time in your life that you were also doing tape trading? it was when I was in college when I was in college I started tape trading so because again like you first getting or at least after you getting an email address and having access to a computer that had the internet um so like the computer lab at school i'm a freshman i don't really know anybody yet so i spent a lot of time in the computer lab just searching the web and mostly looking at wrestling i was i was discovering people like scott decker and like hit the scott decker comps and like the compilation tapes that he was putting together um and at learning starting to learn about like oh you people would trade tapes either you could send them blanks or 
if you you had to have a tape collection or you know to trade with them and stuff like that so i started i had two i was lucky in two ways one being i was in college in pennsylvania so i was reasonably in the northeast so once i finally got a car which was i think it was my sophomore year yeah it was my sophomore year got a car i could now if i wanted to start going to shows um and where i was in pennsylvania it was about an hour and a half from philadelphia where rf video had a stand at the franklin mills mall and i know they had one out here like it wasn't in chicago it was it was out yeah there's a far suburb of chicago had a had a a booth and what's funny enough i never bought a single tape from them okay there was I got Japanese wrestling tapes from the Mitsuwa Market. Yep. Uh, my friend uh, Dave Prezak uh, told me about this place. And we would go and it'd be like, you didn't know what you were actually getting because it was all in Japanese uh, wording. But we knew what it was. You, know? you at least knew it was wrestling. Yeah, so you can, we got a chance of, that's how we got a chance to see Japanese wrestling, yep. which is probably how you saw Japanese wrestling for the first time, probably through RF video. It was totally through RF video. The Now, the first tapes I ever got from RF video were the IWA Japan King of the Death matches, of course, and ECW's Bloodiest Matches, because I'm... As a, you know, I want to see something crazy. I could I could get the concept of like violence and blood, like just randomly grabbing a tape and the wrestling being good. Who knew? I had to learn about yeah. that from from their kiosk. I that was the first time I got um, all Japan and seeing their Tokyo Dome show and seeing guys like Toshiaki Kawada, Mitsuharu Masala, and being like, oh, I've read about these guys a bunch. This is what it's like, and this was so different and so fun when I saw it. Yeah, yeah. I I'm. I always think about this. I'm 100% positive. Everybody's first ever wrestling tape that wasn't a WWF tape is almost always IWA King of the Death Match. Yep. Like, every, like, that had to have been, like, the top seller for, like, first time buyers at and, some point. And it's all Mick Foley's fault because Mick Foley told us about it. Yeah. And he, in the book, in his book and in interviews, he talked about it and was like, oh. Okay. Well, I know I know who he is, so maybe this will be interesting. Yeah, and I, 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 what's interesting too is, like, you can still see deathmatch stuff wrestling now, and there's a lot of people that hate it. Mm-hmm. But like, it, it's just like a the same version of the stuff that like Mick Foley was basically doing at the time, and it's just kind of interesting to see how, like, people's first wrestling tapes now are probably not deathmatch shows. I would bet not. No, but back in back then when we're doing stuff like yeah, it's like, well, like if you're watching WF WF programming, it's like pretty sanitized, really. You're like, blood. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen some like war games matches and stuff before, but this style is disgusting. Yep, yep. And then in some cases it was disgusting, and in some cases it was just no different than really a, some hardcore match from WCW. But like, yeah, I mean, I mean death matches sounds yeah. cool. Going going back to you know, my younger days and going to the video store back home in Bermuda, there was one time where I wasn't, I don't know why, but I think, well, the one reason I think why, they had a Jim Crockett Promotions tape. It was the, it was a two tape best of Starcade that was hosted by um, Magnum TA. Yeah, I remember that one. I think the only thing I could think to myself at the time was, because I was told, even though it was two tapes, it was still $5. It was just $5. So I'm like, 
oh, I get double wrestling for the same price. Okay, I'll take this one. I was I had never seen Jim Crockett stuff, the like what became WCW and all of that. Um, so it's all stuff from like the very first Starcade, I think up through like 1987, I think was when it ended for that tape. Um, what I wasn't prepared for and wasn't ready for was how gritty, how bl- like every match had blood in it. Like yeah. the first match is Flair and Harley at Starcade 83 in the cage. <laughs> yeah. They're both bleeding. Like the Rock and Roll Express or, Express are bleeding every the the all over the place. Uh, the Tully Blanchard Magnum TAI quit match is on there. Like you're seeing what looks like a guy getting stabbed in the eye <laughs> yeah. and like blood literally pouring down his face as it happened. It was very different to me. I was captivated watching that. It didn't make me dislike WWF, but I was captivated. My dad didn't like it. He didn't like how gritty it was. He liked WWF and its theatricality. Sure. But for me, I was just like, oh no, this is something different. This, this is real. This this is this is real and this there's something cool about this and I don't know what it is, but I want to see more of it. Yeah. Yeah, I uh my question related then is when did you figure out that wrestling was a show? I didn't have a chance to not figure it out because everyone felt the need to tell me <laughs> yeah. every at every step of the way that it wasn't real. Um, it just never mattered to me. Like, I didn't care. Because I think, I don't, I don't, consciously I didn't believe this at the time, but it was sort of like, I'm sure to a certain extent, even though people told me, it was like, well, other things on TV aren't real, so why should I assume this? <laughs> like, okay, and why is that supposed to make me dislike it? Right. I did, like, I was never a sports guy at all. Like, I, zero, we didn't get much, like, on TV. To me, sports was the thing that came on after Saturday morning cartoons that I was uninterested in. Sure. So, like... I never watched, like, we would get baseball and football and stuff there. I never watched. God, British sports are terrible. Don't try to sit through a two-day cricket match. It's not interesting. (laughs) Um, So I just, and my parents, my dad had no interest in sports at all. He liked wrestling. He grew up in, because he grew up in New York. So he knew of, like, he told me about, like, Haystacks Calhoun and stuff like that. So he he knew of wrestling through that. Um, So, yeah, like, wrestling to me was just, like, okay it's fake and it's still fun like i didn't yeah. i never took it as anything like problematic or anything like that yeah the the first time that i was aware of wrestling being what it is was as a wcw saturday night not wcw saturday night sorry mm-hmm. <laughs> saturday night's main event yeah the, all the saturday shows played together eventually sure but uh it's Hogan gets beat down by King Kong Bundy and Don Morocco. And this is right before WrestleMania 2. Mm-hmm. And like I was like crying, like, oh, Hogan got beat up. This is sad. And my, <laughs> my mom sits me down and says, you know, he's going to be okay because this isn't real. Okay. And I was like, okay, well, I feel better. And then I was, for some reason, that clicked in my head like, wrestling's fucking awesome <laughs> like it made me like feel that emotional mm-hmm. over something like that yeah and uh like from there i just i just really liked it you know and then i saw it like a lot of people now especially see it it was like an art form mm-hmm. and because of that that's how i was able to like guys like bret hart and some of those great tag teams and stuff because i was like i don't necessarily need the larger than life i want to see the guys who are like good at this art sure which is probably why I like uh, 
what they would call work rate matches because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I just like that sort of art thing. But I could still get involved with like storylines and stuff. Yeah. But like, like all the storylines in the world don't help a boring plotting match. You know exactly, I mean? exactly. So. And like the, to that example, like I after I moved to Chicago, I had gotten uh, it was a Royal Rumble pay per view, I believe, and it the main event was Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit. And it was the lead up to Mania where Kurt faced Brock. At the time, by that time, I was fully steeped in like the internet and everything, reading, reading like all the insider stuff, reading newsletters. I was getting the Observer every week, all that. I knew a hundred percent that Kurt Angle was going to WrestleMania to face Brock Lesnar. However, as I was watching that match, they made me believe that that Benoit was going to win that match. Without it, like I, I'm there and I'm just like, oh god, everything changed. Every, whatever, what all these guys have been saying isn't isn't going to happen. They changed their minds and they're going to give the belt to Benoit. <laughs> of course, it didn't happen. Kurt no. Angle still won. But to your point, like they could still draw me in that way. I could be as knowledgeable as I wanted, but I could still get drawn in when it's good. And it's the same with like movies and and anything else. It's like I can get very emotional about certain movies. Good lord, the first time I saw Big Fish, God. I was I was a wreck after watching that movie, but like some bad movie, like other bad movies that don't do it as well, not gonna pull me in. Right. So I'm not gonna get that emotional. So yeah, it never bothered me that people thought wrestling was fake. Like okay, and <laughs> yeah, I mean you obviously liked it enough to uh, actually get yourself involved in it. So I mean yeah. that I mean, you you would say though that as far as like entertainment goes, wrestling has been a very important part of kind of what makes you uh like the person that you are today i would assume it's informed so much of where i've gone in my life without a doubt and like like real it's helped me it helped me get to honestly where i'm like my current career so like i do digital asset management for companies and things like that looking back when i when i first decided to go to grad school for library science and archiving every thought in my head was every like major assignment that I could shoehorn it into was all wrestling. And because being part of this whole like wrestling thing and like talking talking to people, like reading about the history of it and everything like that and learning like the history is not well kept. You know, we're lucky to have some of the video footage that we have because somebody just happened to record it off their TV because they had a V they happened to own a VCR in like the the early eighties. Um it really informed me going and going into that and even looking back on like my own history like there was a time and I'm still sad about it right now I kept every wrestling magazine I had and then my thought process was well I want to be able to refer back to it in case I need to like I want to like remember something or read up on somebody or something like that Um, and so all of that completely informed me going into like archiving and library science and stuff like that because I genuinely believe that there should be like an actual archive of, of pro wrestling out there that is not controlled by the WWE, but who knows if that'll ever happen? <laughs> yeah, that that the history of any form or yeah. form, uh, I think is important. And one of the things that we have, I talk about on the show is just sort of like how, like how do new generations learn about move, older movies and older wrestling stuff yeah. and. And like like right now, wrestling is just not as popular. It feels like as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that may be the case? And 
is it because it's a lot harder to get a hold of things to watch? Like, because when we were growing up, you had those VHS tapes, really easy to do stuff, and mm-hmm. now they've got DVDs and things, but sure. it's all, it feels like it's all streaming services and stuff. Is it harder for for young fans to kind of get into it the way that we did? I think it's it's harder because they're the option. The options are so much wider. I mean, when when I got that first like list of tapes from RF Video, that's the only thing I had that was like that. That was so that was unique. I didn't have. I wasn't getting this. Plus, knowing that I could like go on my computer, go on a computer and watch whatever I wanted to watch. Um, and I had to be more selective. Like if I was doing a trade with somebody, like. You had to be incredibly slow. You had to trust that they, when they said their quality was VG to G, very good to good, <laughs> that it actually was. Because you're going to trade with them and hopefully get this six-hour tape of something that you want to that you want to invest in. And then if the quality is actually terrible, you're annoyed because then you didn't get to watch it. Because it was it was that time investment. It was that I had to I had to sit there with my two VCRs. And let them run for the eight hours so that we could record from one to the other. And I'm not saying that, like, I'm not trying to make this like a, you know, folks have it so easy now or anything. They don't because there's too much. It's too easy to find things. There's, and I think there's, it's too easy to settle on, on a particular information source as it is. Um, there were tons of fan pages and stuff like when I was first getting on the internet, but it was very obvious when it was just like someone's GeoCities fan page of like something or like it was just their tape list. The the places where you could learn about wrestling felt very few and far between. The Death Valley Driver uh, video, the video board, um, was the place that I ended up at. I have other friends who ended up at other at other message boards and things like that and, and talked on there. But for me, it was the Death Valley Driver guys. And those guys, um, shoot, I'd love to interview all of them like and do a book about them or something because they, they brought about a style of talking about wrestling for fans that I think was very, very different and really at least for me, helped me engage more because they would compare things to older things. And then it was like, oh, well, what is that? Now you have to, hopefully you could look somewhere else on the board and figure it out, or you could look it up somewhere and try and figure out, like, who's this guy they're talking about from Puerto Rico who did whatever, you know. <laughs> some, of, some of their stuff became a little cliched at points, but that's, that's humans. That's what's going to happen. But I think that's the challenge now. It's like, because just thinking about it now, like, I, I feel like around that time for movies, while I'm not as much as a movie buff as you, it felt like the initial place to go was what was it? Ain't it cool? Yeah, that like was, that was the spot yeah, to go, especially early, early on. And yeah, yeah. But try to think of like where's the spot to go? Like sort of an equivalent to that now. Like what is that? There's a lot of different places. Sure. Yeah. And it's it's very uh, specifically related to now. So there's like. 10 sites you can go to that are just about action movies. Okay. There might be like, you know, like I don't, it's funny because back then mm-hmm. I would go on the internet and I would have my sites and I would look to see all the news and yeah. then the wrestling news and stuff. And then, but now there's so much of it. It's like, where do you even start? Mm-hmm. And it, I, w- I wonder if it's so splintered that you can't grab 
the audience that you really need in order to get the, the thing across, you know? Yeah, unless you go niche and, and very specific. Like, it can't be... as Like, the Death Valley driver board, when I started, like, it was... You could talk the major promotions, the smaller promotions, historical... And that was kind of... They had other subjects, like movies and whatever you could go talk about and stuff like that. But it's hard now. And it yeah. it's, it is hard to find, like the community in which to go talk about and there's depending on the place there's heavy gatekeeping like you know don't talk unless you unless you're actually gonna like provide something proper you know there's weird things like that and all of those which makes that difficult by the same token you know but at the time it felt it felt amazing yeah maybe i was a little naive maybe i'm a little naive but i remember they're being more open to people just coming and talking about stuff. And I feel like now it's like, you like WWE? Like, you can't come here. Yeah. You know, and I, I feel like any form, if you start gatekeeping, you're going to push the people out that are going to be the ones that carry the torch. Yeah, yeah. You kind of, you have to almost be willing to, you know, sift the wheat for the chaff as, you know, to figure out. You're going to have to deal with folks that, Sure, they might, they might be annoying. They might be there just to troll, whatever. But you gotta, you gotta kind of try and keep the conversation going, you know, and and be willing to deal with that. And I mean, the Death Valley Driver Board, like you can actually, I think you could still look this up in places. Um, there was a thread that started on the Death Valley Driver Board, the the wrestling sleaze thread that was just like people posting all of like the rumors of things they had heard in wrestling throughout the years the worst rumors that was literally like a death knell for that board because it came right at a time when i think also that usage of the internet had really skyrocketed and boomed and that brought in a ton of people that hadn't been around a long time so they kind of bucked how people were used to the board working and that kind of it that drove off a lot of people that had been there a long time because they didn't want to deal with all these new people and it's it's weird how societally we've dealt with things on the internet as well well i'm on twitter mm-hmm. and i think that's where a lot of communities start getting formed now is on twitter because like everybody seems like in wrestling or wrestling fans have twitter accounts and there's there are people that go on there that all they, they're doing is just like having fake accounts and trolling the hell of like Dave Meltzer and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then you run across really cool people who just like, man, I saw this wrestling match. You should check it out. You know? Yeah. And uh, I think that's part of the, one of the problems is everybody is congregated at one spot. There's no like other places to necessarily go. And you know, luckily I, I found some nice communities online, but mm-hmm. not everybody gets that lucky. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, I, like you yeah. said, it's the effort of trying to yeah. find those places. Yeah. But I just I like I I just wonder how wrestling what it's going to look like in like five years, ten years from now because you know we've got WWE mm-hmm. they're they're like entrenched as like the thing that most people might see first now yeah. and they see it presented as one way and that for some people that's like the only way you can do it and it's hard for like an AEW to come in and be like. Well, we're gonna show wrestling uh, with all the different types of matches mm-hmm. and a presentation that's different from that, and I think some it scares some people off, mm-hmm. and 
and uh, which is which is fine because wrestling should have different styles for everybody. Yeah, you know. But I just I think it's a lot harder for for fans to be like I like WWE and I like this and I like that. It just yeah. feels like it's it's all tribal now and stuff like that. It is. Yeah, everyone's decided like how they believe it's supposed to be. And I, I God, I this quote just I heard this quote the other day. You know what? You're gonna edit this part out because I'm gonna go get this quote because it's too good and it was so appropriate to like, to like, and I want to make sure I say it correctly. Sure. <laughs> I would do that. Oh wait, it's recording again. Okay, cool. All right. So to what you were just saying about about that, um, and how wrestling has changed and everything. There was a quote I heard. Um, I've enjoyed Casey Neistat on YouTube. Um, he is a filmmaker as well. And he was talking about this specifically in film, and I thought it applied so well to wrestling. He said for like the new new filmmakers, because it was early in his YouTube career and people were sort of criticizing, well, you're a filmmaker. What are you doing on YouTube? Like that, you know, this horrible down downturn that he had taken. And he said, um, our job is to create the new cliches, not to adhere to those defined by generations past. And I think that's a big thing on wrestling right now, especially... As much as I enjoy him as a historian, guys like Jim Cornette who get very who have made a business out of just being contrarian to how wrestling is. And it's gonna change and the new generations are gonna make it their own thing. They're not necessarily gonna stick to what happened before because it's not their job just to maintain it the way it always was. If we had done that, we'd still be sitting through hour and a half long, very boring grappling matches as they were in the nineteen hundreds. <laughs> So, but that wasn't going to make money, so they had to change it. Um, but I think I think that's where we're at with wrestling now. Is it's in a flux, it's in a change, and you got to be willing to go along with the change. Well, hopefully, uh, people who are listening to this uh, decide to check out uh, some other wrestling that they might not be familiar with, and to kind of see uh, where we're at uh, right now and whatnot. But. Uh, not the greatest intro of ex- exit of all time, okay. but anyway, thanks Phil for uh, doing this live show. <laughs> no problem. This is Larry. live to tape, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Larry's uh, here in my apartment in Chicago. He <laughs> flew all the way from Colorado just to just come to see wrestling and to hang out with me. Yeah. Um, no, but but thanks. Is is there anything that um, you'd like to to plug that people should check out? Oh, good lord! <laughs> Nothing for me because I'm. I'm not on social media very much at all. No. I'm a lurker. I don't actually post anything, so it's not worth... I mean, I technically am on there, but don't look me up because I don't say anything. Um, I don't know. Just wrestling-wise, wrestling yeah. go watch what makes what what you enjoy and what makes you happy. For me personally, and I'll, I'll put these out there, it's AEW. It's uh, the women, women's promotion in Japan, Stardom. Those are the two biggest ones. Stardom has its own streaming service. Yes, it's they have yes, a lot of it's in Japanese, but it's literally like seven dollars a month. And they are doing they are performing as wrestlers in ways that uh, will become trends in the US, without a doubt, as the way that's a whole history thing in and of itself, is Japanese women's wrestling setting trends that the US followed many, many years after the fact. But go watch Go watch Stardom. Go watch AEW. Watch WWE if that's what you like and makes you happy. Just, just uh, if you like it, watch wrestling. Have fun with wrestling. Yeah, that's because there we go. Getting out of wrestling was the best thing I ever did to maintain my enjoyment of wrestling. So just enjoy your wrestling. That's it. All right. Well, thanks for doing this, Phil. No problem, Larry. <laughs>